0: I am your host, Carrie Scollin, giving us different perspectives on where we are and where we want to go on our journey. Thanks for being here, and I look forward to spending some time with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Founder Series. I am so excited uh, for our guest speaker we have on today. She's on the screen here. I want to just showcase her book. 1033, an officer down steps back up. So it's my honor to have Lori here. I'm going to say a few things before I introduce her uh, and start our conversation, because there was some words that came up as I read the book and reading some of the reviews on Amazon and uh, knowing Lori uh, for the past probably 12 years, there was some words that I just I loved because they really represent um, Lori in a way that maybe she wouldn't describe herself, or hopefully she does. But if not, I'm going to share some of the words. So these are words that come to mind. Insightful, resilience, courageous, perseverance, uh, dedication, amazing mother, inspirational, uh, the word grace comes to mind. Determination, role model, professional, vulnerable, relatable, stubborn, and many other words that I could use. Um, and I loved reading the what other people had to say. Reading your book, Lori, um, it's a pleasure and honor to introduce you, Miss Lori White. We're going to dive into her story, her journey, her process um, of becoming the RCMP officer and the life in the middle the life after now that you're retired so thank you Lori for being here and um, let's
1: dive in. Thanks for <laughs> having me Carrie I really appreciate uh, you inviting me to be your first guest on this series I am very uh, honored and humbled by that so thank you. Thank you so, so you
0: can yeah you can go ahead and jump in I think it you'll do you know more justice sharing your story than me trying to put it into my own words. So I'll let you take it from here and uh, I'm happy to listen.
1: Sure, I'll I'll give you a little bit of my backstory and then we can just get into a, a conversation about what matters now. And I joined the RCMP at the age of 25 and I had Graduated already twice from university and found myself living at my parents' house again when I was 23. It was not exactly the life I'd envisioned for myself after I'd been to university for five years, but that's where I was. And I was bartending and I was teaching skating and I was a fitness instructor and I was a substitute teacher. And it just was not the life I had envisioned. So when I met somebody in the RCMP, I thought, oh, that seems like maybe something I should consider. I had never considered policing before that. So I joined the RCMP and um, spent six months in Depot, which is in Regina, Saskatchewan. Everybody who joins the RCMP goes there. And when I was just a few months shy of graduation, I knew that I was going to be sent to British Columbia, but I was from Ontario, so that was already going to be a big step for me. And then I got told when I was standing at attention the day that they were handing out our uh, postings, I was standing there at attention and they said, wait, Kitimat. And I thought, where the hell is Kitimat? So as soon as our trip was dismissed, I ran and got a paper map like I did back in 1995. And I went to Vancouver because when you're not from BC, you kind of think Vancouver is BC. And so I started doing concentric circles around Vancouver and moving around and I could not find Kitimat. And I went north, north, north. And that's where I found Kitimat. (laughs) So I flew into Kitimat in uh, March of of 1996, and I I always say it was raining that evening, and I feel like it proceeded to rain for the next five years. <laughs> um, so known for its rainfall, for sure. But I ended up starting my shift schedule on a schedule of straight nights for 10 months. So in that first year that I was there, it was a huge transition, obviously. I didn't know anybody. I had no no family with me. I didn't know anyone in the community. I didn't know the job, it was brand new as well. And then this straight night shift thing it was just a lot. So I really did a lot of self-reflection back then thinking, okay, I don't wanna leave. I worked so hard to be here. Depot was extremely challenging and I was very passionate about the work but the lifestyle was just not what I thought it would be. I wasn't meeting people as much. I wasn't able to get involved in some of the activities that I really like to do. But I made an agreement with myself and I thought, okay, if I can make it to a year, then I can walk away from this with my head held high and I'll say to myself, I did my best under the circumstances, I gave it a really fair shot, and if I leave, it's okay, but I needed to get a year before I could make that decision. Yeah. Fortunately for me, by the time a year came around, I was building a little bit of expertise in um, sex crime investigations, and I was starting to feel more confident in my job. I had met a few friends. The shift schedule changed. There were a whole bunch of things that were working in my favor, and I stayed. So it was a sex crime investigation that actually led me to November twenty seventh of nineteen ninety eight. I was investigating an alleged pedophile, and. I, along with two other RCMP officers from my detachment, went to execute a search warrant at his residence. So I was standing to the right of a door underneath a carport. It was a townhouse complex. I was standing to the right of the door, and one of my partners was to the left. And our third partner was around back of the, the townhouse complex at the back door. And all of a sudden, I heard a loud pop. And it was just, my ears were instantly ringing. I couldn't really hear properly. And and it was like a balloon popped right beside my head. Mm -hmm. And I was standing there in shock and I see a a black hole in the white door in front of me. And I could smell the familiar smell of gunpowder. And I could taste the chalky residue in my mouth. And I looked down and I saw this grayish, blackish, whitish smoke billowing from my right shin. And I said to my partner, I've been shot. And he says, what? And I said, I've been shot. And he said, oh, well, lie down. And it was so surreal how all my senses kicked in before my brain kind of went, Oh, okay. This is what's happening. I mean, I I explain it in a longer version than what it happened in real time, but
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: very um, interesting how my brain just couldn't figure it out before all my senses. So mm-hmm. I, I lay down on my left side because that's what I was told to do. Mm-hmm. And my partner quickly grabbed me behind the, the gun belt um, on the back of my pants and and the back of my collar and my shirt. And he pulled me around a vehicle that was out in the driveway to, to safety.
0: Yeah.
1: I was rushed to the hospital in Kitimat and they were making arrangements and very, very quickly for me to go to Vancouver General. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was serious. Mm-hmm. I knew that when the paramedics had picked me up, when they collected me from the scene, I was picked up in their arms. I had didn't, wasn't put on a stretcher then. And I knew that when they were running with me away towards like away from the scene and towards the, um, the ambulance, I knew that my leg was dangling. Like it felt very strange, but you think a a broken leg, I don't know. Yeah. So I went down to the, um, hospital so I was at the the hospital the arrangements were being made for me to be transported to to Vancouver. I was conscious for about four hours and in those four hours, I was willing myself to to keep my eyes open because <sighs> I felt like I was losing so much blood and the shock was setting in, but I felt like I could if I could keep my eyes open, then obviously that was evidence that I was still alive.
0: Yeah
1: and I I was sent to Vancouver, woke up after a marathon surgery to the news that my right leg was amputated. And I just could not wrap my head around that. I mean, it felt like, that doesn't happen in Canada in 1998. Like what, what can you even understand the meaning of that word? Yeah. So it was a, it was a pretty, pretty wild um, experience. And were your,
0: um, was your family notified? Like how long did it take them to get from Ottawa to be with you in the hot, I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. So I was actually weirdly enough, my parents um, are from, I'm I'm from Brockville, which is about an hour from Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And that's where my parents were living then, but they actually were in Ottawa that night. And so they were able to get on a plane to arrive the next day because just of the time difference and all that. So they were made aware of what was happening, um, but they all, also were sort of led to believe in the early phases that it was more of like a flesh wound it wasn't that significant oh, and wow. then as the surgery progressed and they were in touch with the surgeons and all the specialists working on me because it was a very traumatic situation as you can well imagine yeah. um then that's when they sort of gradually learned the significance and the, and the severity of what I was facing
0: wow yeah I, I mean you're you've gone through the training but you can't ever be prepared for something like this happening? Never. Gosh, Never. So, so you, um, the, one of the biggest parts of your story in that time, I think, was the, the fact of how determined you were with lots of ups and downs in the middle. I mean, your book was uh, just, your book was just, it just touched me in, in how honest you were about, the process that you went through the struggles that you went through the tiny little steps that, you know, the one I, that I, um, that I love was your mom making you handwrite all the thank you notes for the messages and, and things that were sent to you. But it was, it was just such a beautiful part of the book because it showed, and you were honest about that. I didn't want to do that. Like Kind of, yes, you appreciated all of the outpouring of support, but you were kind of put in the spotlight with dealing with all of this in front of all Canada. Yeah, really. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: It was very profile. And I was thrust into the media spotlight and it was kind of instantly put out there that I was going to go back to work. And I was having a conversation with my mom recently about that. And she said, well, I remember you saying that. And I said, see, I don't really remember saying it. Maybe I did. I must have, if she remembers me saying it, but I, I didn't really, I don't remember making an active choice in, in making that comment. Not that I not that I wasn't committed and and didn't end up fortunately being successful in doing so, but I just don't I don't really remember that moment, if you will. Like it wasn't like a pivot point for me. It was just kind of like a given or like an accepted thing that that's what I was going to be doing. That was the expectation,
0: right? And and part of that must have been because you were you were on display with the RCMP. So it, it would almost feel like a bit of a obligation to say that you're coming back, even though in your mind who knows what you were thinking it must have been an absolute blur and especially just to to have to do it in front of so many people
1: well and i think because i had so many struggles obviously the physical pain was excruciating Mm -hmm. the psychological pain was a whole other beast that i'd never faced obviously anything like that before and so i felt like i was being a little bit of a fraud. And mm-hmm. on um, um, publicly, I was, oh, she's coming back to work. She's determined she's going to overcome this and and look at what a great role model and inspiration she is. But I did not feel that way. And I certainly wasn't behaving like that. I was behaving like a petulant child. A lot of the time right. I was, um, I was depressed as anything. I was suicidal for several weeks. Um, I, I was, I had the darkest days of my life, but that part was never out there. And so I think that's part of why I felt so strongly about when I did put my, my book out there, I really wanted to make sure that I was honest because Mm -hmm. we can't really celebrate the ups if we don't really address and accept that we had a lot of downs to get there. It makes them that much more monumental.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even now in the, I mean, social media wasn't as huge as it was back then but so many people are just only putting out the best parts and and
1: i just don't think we
0: learn as much as we can from just seeing the best parts
1: i 100% agree with that yeah. yeah we have to show yeah. our vulnerabilities and we have to show our our um, struggles yeah to to appreciate just how far we've come and yes. and and recognize that we can't always be high and on the up and and everything's positive and glowing and beautiful and lovely. Like it's just, that's just not life. It's not a real reflection.
0: Exactly. And it's just not human. And, and when we want that connection, we want to see all the, all the parts, but it takes a lot of courage to show that vulnerable side because it's all, it's been perceived as a weakness when we show our vulnerability and I'm, I'm, This is an assumption, so you can correct me for sure. But um you were you were raised in a family of brothers, right? Yeah. So and and strength. And I don't know how easy it was to show that side growing up. Um, and especially going into the RCMP. I mean, you are the pillar of strength in in our eyes. You're so I can't even imagine the struggle of trying to hold that back so being able to write the book and share so much of that is just in my opinion it's a gift that you've given us and anybody who reads the book that you're not holding anything back and you're giving credit where credit's due and i know that you're you're not somebody that puts yourself up there and pats yourself on the back nearly enough I I I think you deserve all of that and more. Um but that's what makes you who you are too. But by sharing those stories with us it just gives us more of a glimpse into what you have gone through. And I want to highlight a couple of these things. Um and that is you went from that day to only 10 months later um
1: requalifying is that the right word? Yeah. Well, I, I was fortunate in that um, I I was back then I was required to do the pair test, which is the physical test that all RCMP officers have to do. And it's a timed obstacle course test. So it's, it's, um, it consists of several laps of this course and then some weight lifting. So it kind of uh, simulates a foot chase with a bad guy and then a, you know, and then a, you catch up with a bad guy in a little bit of a struggle. That's what it really simulates. And so I had been required to do that test. And so I was very fortunate that within 10 months I had, um, I had passed that test and I had had to uh, re qualify, like do I had to get my driver's license again because it's my right leg that's amputated. So I had to relearn how to drive with my prosthetic leg. And then I had to do police driving and I had to do use of force computer simulation uh, training as well. Mm-hmm. and I had to go see a psychologist and try to trick him into letting him uh, give me the approval to go back to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had to do firearms certifications because that was a big deal. I mean, was I going to be uh, emotionally okay and psychologically okay with having guns drawn or, or potentially having to draw my own gun, that kind of thing. So I had to go to shooting range too, to ensure that my skill level and my confidence was there. So I had to knock all of those things off my list in order to return to work. And yeah, I was successful after 10 months.
0: You were. And and that was for your safety and the safety of your partners and the people around you who you were serving, right?
1: Yeah. Right. And I mean, at the time I was very frustrated because initially I'd been told, okay, you have to do the pair test, the physical test. And so that was what I was just focused 100% on. And yeah. so when I did that, then all of a sudden it was, oh, well, we want you to do this and the other thing. And so these four other things, and they were all time consuming. I was very frustrated. So for me at the time, because I was very defensive and, um, I felt like, um, I felt like they were trying to make me fail. Mm. And in hindsight, I don't believe that was really the case. I think it was just to, um, make sure that in that my readiness was there on every level so while at the time I felt like it was an insult I realized that it was for their own safety and 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 the safety of my partners as well so I do have some better compassion for that situation now I didn't have it in the moment
0: yes okay well I know that we're we're already we only have 10 minutes left so we have not even covered half the stuff so um so going from from that so you you were obviously given the green light to go back in you served you got married had two children two kids two kids and then that marriage didn't ended quickly ended quickly right with all the with everything i mean you you say that in in the book that it wasn't the strongest going in and then you know and the public part i think my gosh it, on display again right you were your wedding pictures were shown on on the news i mean everybody was just so was rooting for you cheering for you i know my parents watched; they remember you on there and everybody was just they just fell in love with you i think that i think i think that that's really what you did for a lot of people and everybody wanted to see you um Succeeds not even the right word because because that's a word that means so many different things to people. But you were you were being rooted for. Yeah, I think is the sense that I got. I had a ton of support. You did, um, and I'm and I'm glad that you felt that, and I'm glad your mom made you write the handwritten thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> Great, now
1: she's but, gonna be on here and saying, "See, told you so."
0: My mom would have been doing exactly the same thing. So I think that's why that one touched me a little bit too. Um, I want to kind of go into, uh, well, us as many of us in here who are parents take for granted all the the things that come from an able-bodied dealing with, especially, well, not especially, but the young kids. And when I read the part in your book about just being able to get down on the floor and play with them, giving them a bath, like things that you just, you don't even think about. Um, But I'm glad you put that in the book because it makes it so relatable. It makes it go like there was so much more going on behind the scenes that you were dealing with. So that I just commend you on that.
1: Thank you. I think it's important because it's kind of back to what we just talked about is the way that you present yourself is one way and people only see you as being you know, mostly able-bodied, but behind closed doors, there are a lot of struggles. And so I'm not alone in that. Everybody's got their own issues. It's just those were some of mine. And so I wanted to really express how much thought went into all of those sort of mundane daily tasks, because we often take so much for granted that we don't really think about um, some of the other challenges that people may face. So if those were just mine. Everyone's got them.
0: Yes. And, and in different, you're right, in different ways. Uh, the other thing that I i would love to talk to you a little bit about, oh my gosh, we need like five hours on here, Lori. Um,
1: I'm retired every day Saturday. I <laughs>
0: <laughs> this might be a part two guest as well. So we can finish up. But um, I know that Uh, anybody that's followed me, I talk a lot about a forgiveness piece and that you've really opened my eyes to, we can say all those words and everybody has different ways of, of dealing with traumatic events. Um, but you opened my eyes to the fact that forgiveness isn't necessary for everybody to move on. And you, you, um, if you don't have forgiveness you can't live a life of and and you've really opened my eyes to the fact that you you like the word or resonate with the word acceptance more and that is that is to me as freeing as forgiveness because that in your mind accepting what has happened to move forward is just it's huge and and the word forgiveness doesn't need to be in there
1: i th- i think Maybe part of it's my Catholic upbringing and that sort of Catholic guilt, if you will. Um, And I I did feel guilty because in those early days, people were giving me all kinds of inspirational books and religious materials and motivational quotes and stuff. and, And I just didn't want any of that. It was just too soon. I just was not there. And then over time, when you start doing more reading and trying to figure out ways forward and paths to healing and that kind of thing, I would read all that stuff about you have to forgive you're going to be a lesser version of yourself and i just it made me feel less than and it's yeah. back to what you're all about which is always feeling like you're not enough but it was just like another message to me that made me feel like i was i was small and then i and i thought i'm not small everyone's path forward doesn't you don't have to fall in line with what everybody else does in order to find you know success and joy and happiness Uh, for for me it wasn't about forgiveness in that in that word that just wasn't that's not what I feel in my experience in this situation and so I felt like I had to get around that somehow and address the fact that uh, I'm not if I can't arrive in that place it doesn't mean that I'm not evolved it just means that my path's different.
0: Yes, I, I, yeah, that, that, that meant a lot to me because it opened up another part for me to, to see that because I was under that impression that forgiveness was the only way that I was going to feel complete, feel whole, feel like I was enough. And then talking to you about that is acceptance is, is beautiful. And, and that feeling can come from acceptance as well. So yeah, maybe I it's just semantics, it. but yeah,
1: it, it, and it's, it's like, just words. Exactly, but however we phrase it for ourselves is what we need to um, find comfort. That's where yes. we need to find yeah.
0: comfort.
1: And, and one process for one person
0: doesn't necessarily mean that that is what's going to work for you. There's so no one right way. There's no one right way, exactly, and you've got to do what you feel is works for you, like. Yeah, so so I really appreciate you saying that because I am um, wanting to share things to help other women in and and men for that matter um, in dealing with and finding things that'll work for them
1: so on their path. Finding peace,
0: however that is. Finding peace, finding peace, finding freedom, find and and letting go of all those expectations uh, that. Society puts on us, and other people put on us, and when we can step back from that and just um, come from a place where we want to come from, that's all that matters, and and nothing else that anybody says um, has to affect us that way. So, so, anyways, yeah, I wanted to thank you for that. I also wanted to, I, I know we don't have much time, but your, um, you started, or you seem to have always been in the role of service of helping others. So I believe that what you're doing with writing this book and going out on, I would call it a book tour (laughs) that I love. And you're speaking, you're speaking to many different organizations, not just, um, RCMP. You're speaking to, to lots of different, um, uh, what is that? Organizations. Group, Yeah. Yeah. Groups. Yeah. And so you're sharing and, and you're spreading that word. And I believe that so much of what you're spreading is really the message of hope. And, and I, and I love that because we all can be inspired by parts of your story. We're going to resonate with more parts than others, because this has not happened to a lot of us. Um, but I appreciate your, um, courageousness and your vulnerability for for sharing that with us stories to me are the most important things that we can do um by sharing them and I think in sharing our stories it also helps us us to um and heal might not be a word that that resonates with you either and it might I'm not sure it it helped me heal some of the things and it helped me just uncover some things that um when you're sharing it with somebody else and they all of a sudden relate to a piece that you can kind of dive a little bit deeper into. I think that helps both people. Well, I think,
1: I think that, um, you know, this was a 22 plus year goal. And so when I finally got to a stage where I felt like I had a manuscript that was in somewhat usable form, I wanted to go to an editor outside of my, my immediate world. I wanted to go to a stranger. And that's what I did because I wanted a very neutral opinion. And that was exactly what I said to him. I said, I think I have something here, but I want a professional opinion. And if you think that this is something I need to bind up at Staples and leave for my two kids to read someday, then you need to be honest. But I feel like I I have something here. And fortunately, he came back and he said, no, I think you have a a great message here. And so that gave me a lot of confidence in terms of being able to share my story on a different platform, because while I've been a speaker for many years, um, doing a book was obviously a completely different route. And so um, that was a a confidence booster for me in order to have that, um, that encouragement to go and share my story in a different way.
0: Yeah, and now you're getting a lot of feedback from the people that are reading your book. So many people have reached out to you. The the reviews that I've seen um, are incredible. I need to write a review on Amazon, but I couldn't get in there for some reason. So I gotta. My technical skills aren't the best, so I'm going to. Uh, I will get that done though, because I believe that everybody can get something from this book, and I am just so honored that that you came on the show and shared your story. And we didn't even get close to all the stuff that we wanted to cover. Lori, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. I really appreciate, appreciate that. Thank you. See you soon.